Over 200,000 of the homeless people in the United States of America are women and girls. The most needed and understocked item in homeless shelters, feminine hygiene products. Joy Road Media is proud to tell you about the Clean Love Project. The Clean Love Project's mission is to help women and young girls feel clean, loved, and empowered by distributing clean love kits to alleviate their hygiene needs. Go to thecleanloveproject.org to find out how you can help. The Clean Love Project focuses on the Metro Detroit area, but it also distributes kits worldwide. If you are a female in need of a clean love kit, go to thecleanloveproject.org and request one today. Joy Road Media is a proud supporter of The Clean Love Project at thecleanloveproject.org. Welcome back to Great Lakes Confidential. Hi, Mikey. Hey. You know, it's very funny. I worked in radio for a long time, and all the DJs had their own little thing that they would do before they would have to do a talk break. Like Man at Large, who was on Power 96 and then the Planet 96, is one of my best friends in the whole world. And he would pop on his microphone, and before he potted up, so you could hear him he would literally like giggle he would just i don't know if he would think of something that made him giggle or he would just start giggling to get like a smile in his voice and you did this like yoga move (laughs) where you summon like the sun goddess and channeled her into you because we were having such a uh, kind of a dour conversation. Mm-hmm. And then like the sun goddess just gave you all this lightness and joy. It's <laughs> like very, like, uh, yeah, yeah. you're very Fleetwood Mac witchy woman there. Like the way you like summon the spirits of joy. It was That's very, funny. it was very fun to watch. <laughs> I I never really know what to do. Like, you know, I know so many people that have been in radio or that, that are like, you know, performers in, in some aspect. And I've, like I haven't performed anything since like, you know, high school marching band. So, uh-huh. um, so I like, I, but I recognize that so many people do like different things to get themselves. Like, I don't want to say in the mood. Cause that sounds very inappropriate, uh-huh. but you know what I mean? Like, like get them psyched up and like ready to go. And I just haven't found my thing yet, but, but if I do this, uh-huh. <laughs> if I do that yoga thing, I don't know. I do that sometimes at work too. I'm like, okay, this is it. (laughs) It's going to be very fun. The, the challenge I put out when we recorded the last episode, which was literally last year was that (laughs) this year we're going to do a live episode in front of an audience. So it will be very fun (laughs) when we go out on stage, sit down and you summon, (laughs) summon, yeah, my my goddess. Yeah, yes. yes. I forgot. I forgot that you threw that out into the universe last year. So, um, thanks for that reminder. Because now yeah. it's twenty twenty four, and I can't back out, can I? No, 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 no. Cool, uh, cool. I would like to apologize to you again and to the listeners for the gap in episodes. When we recorded last time, we were planning on taking one off for uh, Christmas, but literally hours after we recorded. Um, 
I think I've mentioned on the podcast that my wife and I are my mom's full-time caregivers. She fell and had to be rushed to the ER. And then the next morning she fell again and had to be rushed to the ER again. And she has been in the hospital since the second weekend in December. So um, I have been literally either going to a hospital or a nursing home or a rehabilitation center every single day with the exception of maybe two of them uh, since last time I saw you. My brother, unfortunately, lives an hour and a half away up in Elmont, so it's just not feasible for him to get out as much. Uh, She had been in a nursing home that was less than a mile from me, but they were mistreating her. So that was fun. Mm. And uh, luckily, she's in a really good place now, and um, they are taking very good care of her. So hopefully the worst parts of things are behind us. It is going to be a, a drastically different year for me than last year was because she will require more ongoing help. But uh, we are going to aim to keep putting these out as regularly as possible. And I assure you, if we skip one, it's because uh, there's been another catastrophe. So that's a that's a really doom and gloom way to start off uh, an episode that all you told me about was, hey, we're not going to do a fun intro because this one's about murder. So, um, yeah, yeah. Now that I've set the mood. (laughs) You're very good at this, this uh, segue thing. It's Uh spot on. (laughs) Right. Well, I mean, I, I don't think it needs to be said to you. um, But you know that, you know, I think about you and your mom and your family often. Um, Your mom means a great deal to me and, and has for the last couple of years. So hopefully, um, you know, our listeners, whether it's, you know, praying that you do or just sending out positive vibes or whatever. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll all kind of help to, you know, send her well wishes and and whatnot. And we can get her back to, back to where she was before so that she can continue to heal. Cause she's a, she's a pretty, she's a pretty special woman. So, yeah. The nice thing is physically she looks better than she has looked in decades after my dad died and, uh, my dad loved having junk food around the house. Um, so there isn't as much of that. Uh, she's lost a, a lot of weight and then being on a very strict diet uh, and having someone make sure that she gets her medications when she needs to, like her skin looks really good. Um, uh, so yeah, I, it's just the, uh, the insides that we need to get working yeah uh, because outside she looks phenomenal so good good well that being said we're going to talk about people that wanted to see people's insides right with murder (laughs) great yeah yeah we can have back to back uh (laughs) yeah this is we got a a couple doozy episodes in a row from what you said (laughs) yeah so i so when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do a show about, I, I couldn't like, I have lists that I've made, but every time I look at the list, I'm like, meh, meh, 
so I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. So I just started Googling random phrases I could think of. Uh-huh. One, one of them was weird Michigan. Okay. So you know how like Google will make suggestions for you when you start typing things in the search bar? Yeah. Well, one of them was what happened in Michigan in 1982? Well, I turned 10. Well, and I was like, well, shoot, I don't know. What Return- happened in Michigan in 1982? <laughs> like, Return of the Jedi came out. All right. Well, those yeah. are not what happened in Michigan in 1982. They were in um, my life. But, well, there's like there was actually like a, a Wikipedia um, entry for 1982 in Michigan. So it has a short list of like random things that happened this year. Things like. The election of James Blanchard as governor, the first Democrat elected to office in 20 years. Okay. And 732,000 Michiganders out of work, which meant we hit a record for unemployment at 17.2%. I was also out of work, but I was only 10. So, you know. All right. That's fair. (laughs) I wouldn't have a paper out for another four or five years. Got it. A continued slump in sales of American automobiles. Yep, a, I had not bought a car at that point, so I good. I added to that. Probably they were all like those that weird brown color, anyways. My first car was a '78 Mustang King Cobra uh, that my brother and I bought together from a friend of our uncle's that just liked to soup up cars and um, then just get rid of them. And it was a little too much car for us, so my brother and I drove it into the ground very quickly so i went from having a really cool car to a 1980 blue pinto station wagon <laughs> do you know what really helps getting you a girlfriend in high school not a pinto station wagon yes that is the excuse i'm going to use <laughs> <laughs> has nothing so- to do with my everything else it was just the car <laughs> So also in 1982 in Michigan, a 12-year-old rape victim in Kalamazoo was denied an abortion and forced to give birth to a baby. Oh. And cold weather and heavy snow throughout the winter of 82. So wasn't a great time in Michigan. I was two, so I was probably living my best life um, as an only child. But then my sister showed up in November of that year, so. All of that being said, do you think you wet your pants more in 1982 or more in 2022? 2022. Yeah, I was going to say, because George is a very funny guy and I I know how easily you pee when you laugh. Yes. (laughs) Thank you for that. (laughs) My goal is to make you use the Clorox wipe on your couch by the time we're done recording today. You are the worst. I know. Absolute worst. Yep. All that. We're recording this one on Zoom. So. Neither of us know what we're wearing from the shoulders down. (laughs) (laughs) So all of that being said, Michiganders were in need of serious positivity. But that's not what this episode is about, because I am very morbid. (laughs) And I am wearing my regular pants, shoes and socks and underwear, but I am wearing a crop top. Why? You just can't see that. (laughs) I just want you to know that where my shirt ends in the screen is where my shirt ends. It's just belly hanging out. So, yeah. Okay. Serious now. Murder. People are going to die in this episode and you're just (laughs) giggling. All right. So 
There was one thing on the list of Wikipedia stuff that I found to be much more interesting than those other things that I've already talked about. Um, the list said, quote, mass homicides, including the February 16th murder of seven members of the George Post family on their hog farm near Farwell, the murder of five members of the Paulson family near Allendale on March 13th, and the murder of Betty Giuliani and her four adopted daughters in St. Cl Clair County on April 7th. So Jeez. in case you don't want to do the math on that, that's 16 people murdered in Michigan in three months. Wow. Yeah. So parents and caregivers, use your discretion with this episode. Um, we definitely don't want to traumatize any of the little ones. Um, They're like too late. We're picturing Mike in a crop top. So <laughs> right. <laughs> 16 murders uh, over the course of like <laughs> three incidents is, you know, that's like. That's 5.33 murders per murder. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. So all the information for this episode came from Wikipedia, the Detroit Free Press, UPI.com, MLive.com, Michigan Department of Corrections, findagrave.com, and the Times Herald. All right, so now we're going to get into it. Do my yoga thing again to center myself. You don't need to find sunniness. <laughs> The mass homicide of the George Post family was also called the Rock Road Massacre, Farwell Murders, or Clare County Murders. On February 16, 1982, seven members of the Post family were murdered by Robert Lee Haggart. According to Wikipedia, the Rock Road Massacre is the third largest mass murder in our state following the Bath School disaster of 1927 and the Hazelwood Massacre in 1971. Now, I don't know anything about the Hazelwood Massacre, so that's probably something that I'm going to touch on at some point again later, because I need to know about that one, too. So typical of cases like this, the majority of the information on this story is about the person who committed the crime, as opposed to honoring those who lost their lives to senseless violence. What I can tell you about George Post is that he was 53 years old, and he had a wife named Vaudrey, who was 42. George and Vaudrey each had children from previous relationships, and together they all lived on the Post family farm on Rock Road in Farwell, Michigan. This George is like raised... the worst episode of Brady Bunch ever. It is. Yeah. <laughs> and by, you can always tell who the bad guy is in the story because they use his middle name. Like if your middle name shows up in a Google search, chances are villain. you have something horrific in your history. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. yeah. George raised cows and pigs on the farm, and he also worked as a rural mail carrier. Baudry worked in a school cafeteria. Everything I've been able to find about the family says they, that they were very well liked in the area. They were hardworking and helpful. helpful. They're like salt of the earth type people. So how did they become murder victims in small town Michigan? As I said, both George and Baudry had children from previous relationships. Garnetta and I guess Ronnie. now it's going to be a previous spouse. It's Audrey's ex. No, you're wrong. Oh no, is you're it someone wrong. who knows the family? Well, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I also, <laughs> I would also snoop for Christmas presents too. So I believe it. Yes. Okay. Garnetta Ronning was Vaudrey's daughter. Garnetta seemed to be a bit of a wild child. At the age of 15, she was caught with a boy by her stepfather, George, and in an attempt to shift the attention off of her, she accused her stepdad of rape. The story was proven to be false, 
At the age of 16, she began working as a waitress at a local restaurant with her aunt. When she was 19, she met Robert Lee Haggard at the K&A Chow House where Garnetta worked. Robert became a regular there and the two began to date. At some point during their courtship, Garnetta became pregnant and had an abortion. Robert got pretty upset about this. I'm assuming he didn't know she was even pregnant until he found out about the abortion. And they stopped seeing each other for a while. They got back together in late 1980 with Robert moving into Garnetta's trailer and the two married in 1981. As many of these stories tend to go, the relationship between Garnetta and Robert wasn't great. He spent too much money. He was at the bar a lot. And at one point, Garnetta showed up to work at the chow house covered in bruises. In June of 1981, Robert wrote a check of over $17,000 for 35 cattle. And of course, the check bounced and a police investigation began. In July of 81, Garnetta filed for divorce and took off to move back in with her mom. The next month, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Robert Lee Haggard on the bounce check, and he also bailed heading to Tennessee. At some point, Garnetta moved to Florida. A hearing was sent to finalize the divorce of Garnetta and Robert on February 17, 1982. Both returned to Michigan for the court hearing. On February 16th, Garnetta's family was to gather at the Post Family Farm for a reunion and probably to celebrate the divorce between her and Robert. And, as we know, this was the day seven members of the Post family were murdered. Oh, no. Like, just... You know, there are other fish in the sea, Robert Lee, and there's also <laughs> other waitresses at the Denny's. Cow houses? Like, yeah. They're, I mean, just... Ah. Uh. Yeah. So the timeline as presented by prosecutors is as follows. Robert Lee Hager arrives by bus to Michigan from Tennessee. He arrives at the farm with a shotgun, making George Post his first victim. Mr. Post's body was found at the base of the stairs in the basement of the farmhouse. His next victim was Helen Gaffney, Garnetta's stepsister, aged 29. Helen attempted to flee the farm in a truck with her four children. Robert shot up the pickup truck with a shotgun and a pistol. Helen's body was found slumped over the bodies of three of her children, Angela, aged 10, Tom, aged 8, and Amy, aged 7. Helen's fourth child, 15-month-old Amanda, was found alive, covered in blood, ripping onto the body of her 10-year-old sister. Oh, jeez. Robert, that's, that's basically Dexter's origin story. Or no, Dexter, what ended up being Dexter's brother's origin. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, geez. Robert then just sort of hung out waiting on Vaudrey and Garnetta to arrive. He even covered his foot tracks and blood with snow as to not draw attention, as to not draw immediate attention when they got home. Once Vaudrey and Garnetta walked into the kitchen, he shot and killed them both. Around 630 that evening, another of George's daughters, Alice, and her husband arrived for the party. They found the house to be dark, with the exception of a bathroom light and the family's dogs guarding the home. When they walked into the kitchen and turned on the light, they found the blood-soaked floor and the bodies of Vaudrey and Garnetta. Robert Lee Haggart had taken off in Vaudrey's vehicle and returned to Tennessee. On Thursday, February 18th, Robert went to a restaurant owned by his roommate. His roommate, Glenn C. David, had read about the murders and recognized the vehicle Robert was driving, so he called the police. 
Robert Lee Haggart was arrested without incident and transported back to Michigan. The trial was set for September of 1982. Long story short, he was found guilty of first-degree murder in six of the deaths. He was found guilty of second-degree murder in the death of seven-year-old Tom Gaffney due to doubts of intent and found guilty of attempted murder for 15-month-old Amanda. On November 21st, 2003, Robert Lee Haggart died of natural causes in prison. He was 53 years old. In 2009, DNA evidence linked Haggart to the 1977 rape and murder of Doris A. Arndt. Oh. So that's the story of the Rock Road Massacre. Uh, if you have a thing for waitresses and your buddy owns a restaurant, just ask him which waitress is single and just right. hook you up. Don't take a bus to. Ah, oh. yeah. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Yuck. And like, yuck. 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 I hate everything and, about that. Yeah. And like not not justifying at all, like any of the murders. But like, why did he go after every single family member? You know, like, obviously, his vendetta was just with his soon to be ex-wife, like. To go in and kill everybody, children included, like, that just, I mean, obviously he had a lot of problems. And then just go back home about your business. Yeah. And then just take the car and drive back to Tennessee. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, so just over a month after the Rock Road Massacre on March 13th, 1982, five members of the Paulson family were murdered at their home. Robert Paulson, aged 42, his wife, Mary Jane, aged 40, and their daughters, Cynthia, aged 18, Carla, aged 13, and Casey, aged 8, were fatally shot in their Allendale home by Maris Carklins, aged 42. Maris Carklins, self-described hitman of God, claimed the members of the Paulson family were actually demons. After shooting them all, he set their home on fire because it was a witch's cauldron. It was a neighbor who discovered the bodies. Maris confessed to these crimes four months later when he was arrested for murdering his mother, 64-year-old Milda Carklins. I found an article from the Lanthorn, which was a Grand Valley State University paper from March 10th, 1983. That was pretty interesting. So here's an excerpt from that paper. The most gruesome part of the testimony came towards the end of the fourth day and stretched over to the fifth day as prosecutor Wesley Nykamp presented the taped confession of Carklin's last July. Carklin spoke of a magnetism between Mary Jane Polson, Polson and himself. He said that she was interested in him, but he kept his distance since he was working on their case, meaning the work he does as a demon buster. Carklin said he went to the Paulsons on the 13th because he had to release Mary Jane before the Ides of March. He also wanted to be sure to arrive at the home before noon because noon is a power point. Carklin said that when the family gathered together in the kitchen, he shot them all once in the head except Mary Jane, who he shot three times. At the time, he stole two guns, a hunting bow, binoculars, an arrow, a hooded sweatshirt belonging to Robert Paulson, and a 1939 Lincoln penny taken from a good luck charm in daughter Cynthia's purse. He then checked on the family again and found daughter Carla Paulson sitting up with her hand to her head. Oh, no. At first, at first he thought he had just grazed her, so he shot everyone again. 
Carklin's explained on the tape that he does a professional job and that once he does a job, he forgets about it. Carklin's confessed that he only killed one person, Mary Jane, but that he executed four demons. He also believes he will see Mary Jane again because she is now a spirit. And when he sees her, Carklin said, she will be beautiful and she will put her arms around me. Did Maris you Carklin's- ever see the movie Frailty? A long time ago. Okay, Bill Paxton stars in it and he directed it. It's about, uh, it takes place in 1979 and it's about a guy. Yes. Just, yeah. Des- yep. Says that uh, God visited or an angel visited him in the middle of the night and he was to become a demon hunter. I wonder if that movie was based on this incident at all. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, yeah. I yeah, didn't even I, think about it. As yeah. I was as I was researching, I did not even consider that. I just watched it. Uh, Allison and I have started trying to record uh, more episodes of You Made Me Watch. And that was a movie that she just made me watch. And that is eerily similar. Yeah, to this. I wonder. Ugh. Maris Carklins was convicted on five counts of first degree murder for the Paulson family murders. He was given a life sentence for each of these counts. He also eventually pled guilty of homicide, murder in the second degree for shooting his mother to death, and was given a life sentence for that as well. According to Otis, the offender tracking information system, he is still serving time in Jackson, Michigan. He is currently 83 years old. Fun fact about Carklands. On the Otis site, there's a section for marks, scars, tattoos. Under that heading, it says other, right finger amputation, and then tattoos, chest and this is what the actual tattoo says it's all in caps m-i-s-s f-i-n-g-r miss finger uh-huh <laughs> missing finger uh-huh yeah so that's the story of the paulson family murders oh mm-hmm. i am um, not for a podcast um I just watched Night of the Hunter with uh, Robert Mitchum, which is the movie that I think originates the love-hate knuckle tattoos. Oh. But I, I guess this this dude would have had love hat. Because <laughs> he would have been yep. missing. <laughs> All right. Uh, less than a month later, on the other side of the state in Yale, Michigan... Located in St. Clair County, Betty Giuliani and her four adopted children were shot to death in their home. Betty, aged 50, and her children, Eric, aged 19, Kathleen, aged 16, Cindy Joe, aged 13, and Dino, aged 9, were found by their neighbor. Betty's husband, Richard, was working at the General Motors Tech Center in Warren at the time of the murders. Not a whole lot of other details about the family at all. Well, so, what is wrong with you that you're like, hey, let's kick off 2024 with um, three <laughs> stories that involve murdering children? Jeez, I don't have an answer for that. Angie, what are you doing to me? Hey, welcome back to the podcast, Mike. Um, <laughs> here's three stories that involve. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm sorry. Do you think anyone in Jackson thinks that? Hey, were you a haberdashery? Because uh, did you work? Are you a haberdasher? Because it says that you love hat. You know, I think a haberdasher is a hat maker. 
All right. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> trying to lighten the mood before we get into a dead nine year old. Jeez. Because the actual crime itself isn't horrible enough. The person that was Ugh. arrested, James Porter, was only 16 years old. According to UPI, James Porter was friends with the oldest of the children, Eric. Police believe the shooting was a result of something that happened between the friends and their muskrat trapping business. Even more maddening is that defense attorney Dennis Smith had argued that Porter should be tried as a juvenile. Had that happened, Michigan law says that he would have only been held in a juvenile institution until the age of 19, at which point he would have been set free. Like, free. Like, just free and clear. Like, that's it. So, I have a lot of feelings about this. We're not going to get into it. But anyways, Circuit Court Judge James E. Corden upheld an earlier decision made by St. Clair County Probate Court Judge Robert Spillard, who said Porter should be tried as an adult. Porter was tried and convicted as an adult and was sentenced to life without parole. In 2012, in the Miller v. Alabama case, the Supreme the Supreme Court ruled that juvenile offenders who had been sentenced to mandatory life without parole needed to be resentenced. Four years later, in 2016, another ruling made the Miller decision retroactive, meaning that cases of juvenile lifers had to be looked at again. From a May 22, 2023 article of the Detroit Free Press, quote, by 2012, when the Supreme Court ruled 5-4 to four that sending children to die in jail without any hope of release constituted cruel and unusual punishment, unconstitutional under the Eighth Amendment, Michigan had at least 358 of them locked up for life, and state courts continued to hand down the sentence after Miller was decided. The state also has been slow to resentence juvenile lifers, with 294 inmates still incarcerated in Michigan for crimes they committed when they were younger than 18. Another 274 remained in prison for offenses they committed when they were 18, a population of the Michigan Supreme Court ruled eligible for resentencing last summer, end quote. The same article states that the recidivism rate of juvenile lifers is about 1%, which is extremely low. I found an interesting study on this. I'm going to post that on our Facebook um, so that if anybody wants to read more about it. So where does Miller v. Alabama leave James Porter? According to the Offender Tracking Information System, he is still doing time in a Michigan prison. He was originally sentenced to life on five first-degree murder charges and two years each for five felony weapons charges and then resentenced in 2021. It should be noted that while in prison, he was diagnosed as having schizoid personality disorder associated with adolescent antisocial behavior. At some point in prison, he also got himself into trouble for sexual misconduct, violent assault with serious injury to a victim, and planning to escape. He is currently 58 years old. And that's Mm. everything that happened. Not everything, but that's the story of what happened in Michigan in 1982. And I thought the biggest crime was that I told Mr. Hag, my fifth grade teacher that I saw <laughs> return of the Jedi the night before it came out, because I didn't want anyone to think that people would be able to see it before me. And he kept trying to call me on it, but I stuck to my lie. 
And he was like, there were no movies uh, theaters playing it the night before. And I was like, oh, yeah, my cousin works at a movie theater. He got the whole, <laughs> you know, and he kept trying to catch me and I wouldn't give it up that I was lying. And then finally, Mark Mosicki's mom called my mom and was like, hey, uh, we want to see Return of the Jedi. Mike said that you guys already saw it. Do you think it's going to be too scary for Mark's little brother? And my mom was like, we never saw it. We're going to see it this weekend. And um, I got busted. And then you would think that would be one of those stories that would just go away in fifth grade. But at my five year class reunion, Rose Snyder said, hey, remember in fifth grade when you lied about seeing Return of the Jedi? So I have not gone to any of my other class reunions. Um, I think next one I would have if they had one would be 35 years uh, but if I see Rose Snyder, I'll be like, yeah, at least I didn't murder an entire family in 1982. Yeah. So um, so what if I lied? Right. Yeah. God. Rose Snyder. Yeah. Right. Mind your business, Rose. Yeah. Jeez. Like, who do you even think you are? Yeah. Golly. I know. Well, thank you so much for um, <laughs> all of that. <laughs> If I was editing this episode, I would do something in very poor taste, like drop the Captain and Tennille uh, song Muskrat Love in for a little bit there. But, I know. I, but you're editing this one, so I will. <laughs> that won't probably happen. for the best. Yeah. OK. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, not everything in Michigan is freaking sunshine, rainbows and wolverines. So I don't know what you want from me. But, like, I feel like you should have known what you're getting yourself into when you signed up to co-host with me. Wasn't it you who told me once that there are no Wolverines in Michigan? That is true. There there aren't Wolverines in Michigan. Yeah. See, I listened to you. There are, however, a lot of murders. So. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see which fact sticks with me more. Some I will be able to successfully block out. Um, I think. Thanks, like, Angie? Question mark. Sure. Anytime, bud. Anytime. I'll I'll try to find something happy to talk about next time. I will, too, because uh, the the next episode that I'm responsible for is pretty messed up. Uh, so, yep. uh, mm-hmm. yep. so yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll work on lightening things up. <laughs> yeah. On that note. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> yes, thank you very much. So you can leave us a voicemail by calling 313-489-0739. Make sure you tell us your name and where you're listening from. So far, we haven't gotten anybody to call, and I'm kind of bummed about that. But also, like, I recognize my generation doesn't like being on the phone. So that includes voicemails, probably. What are you saying that you're banking on people, my generation to leave yes. voicemails? <laughs> I mean, if, if your entire family's been murdered uh, and you are a survivor because you were a bloody baby on the uh, oh, floorboards no. of a truck, please leave us a message and tell us about how therapy is working out for you. I hope um, nobody, I hope they don't listen. No. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> I'm sorry. These are just things that happen in the state. And I just. 
if they're you terrible, did, I mean, they're they, terrible, yeah. terrible things, and I know that, but they happened, and I'm I don't know. I just I'm sorry. What cool Michigan movie theater have you been to? <laughs> Leave us a voicemail and let us know. All right. So yeah. We should just end this. <laughs> yeah. Do the sign off. <laughs> Be safe out there. Watch for deer and text me when you get home. <laughs> and in the words of the uh that murder podcast that everyone likes that my wife likes uh stay sexy don't get murdered <laughs> bye bye <laughs>